Hey, and welcome to The Token Daily. I'm your host, Suna Amaz. Each week, we sit down with movers and shakers in crypto to discuss big ideas, both in crypto and outside of it. Everything from trends we're seeing in the space to the books we're reading lately. This podcast is presented by the folks over at Blockworks Group, a blockchain event and media production company. For exclusive content and events that provide insights into the crypto and blockchain space, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. On today's episode about non-fungible tokens, we have OpenSea co-founder Devin Finzer and Brian Flynn from Dabber Labs. We sat down and discussed everything from the recent uptick in activity that NFTs have seen to how NFTs and DeFi could interact in the future, plus collectibles maximalism. All right. Hey, Devin and Brian, thanks for joining us on the show today. For our listeners who don't already know who you are, can you start by giving a brief background and what you're working on today? Devin, if you want to start. Sure. My name is Devin Finzer. I'm one of the co-founders of OpenSea, which is a marketplace for non-fungible tokens on Ethereum. So it's a site that allows you to buy and sell any crypto items, such as a CryptoKitty, uh, Gods on Chain cards, and there's now thousands of these different items um, using smart contract and decentralization. And Brian, what's a quick background on you and what, what are you working on lately? Sure. Uh, I'm Brian Flynn. I am the editor of Nifty News. I also do product-related stuff at Dapper Labs. Um, I got into crypto originally starting with gaming. That's kind of how I transitioned to NFTs, um, but working on a lot of cool stuff right now at Dapper Labs. And uh, what was the inspiration behind starting the uh, NFT newsletter? Like, What gap did you see that you're hoping your newsletter closes? Yeah, sure. So I actually didn't have much of a network at first, and I just wanted to break into crypto. Um, originally, everyone was just being kind of like a crypto analyst and having their own opinions on tokens. And I was kind of going where all the building was happening. And at the time, that was just the NFT space, namely just CryptoKitties, because that was essentially the only usable product in Ethereum. Um, so I just started writing about NFTs probably about a year ago and uh, started writing about it since. Nice. And Devin? To take a step back, when people ask you, like, what's a non-fungible token, what's the one-liner you have for a layman person that's trying to understand what it is and why it's important? So for a very layman person, I think the best way to think about it is it's just all of the digital stuff that you might own, right? So um, you might own items in games, you might own tickets, you might own domain names, Um, And in the context of non-fungible tokens on blockchain, basically these are unique digital items that you can kind of do whatever you want with, right? So you could transfer these to anyone you want, you could throw them away, you could go and trade them on a marketplace, and there are more and more experiences that can be built with these digital items. So that's kind of how I would convey that to someone who doesn't really know anything about blockchain or care about crypto in any capacity. Yeah, and to add on to Devin's point, so I don't really like using the word uh, digital collectibles or digital assets to describe them because they're kind of much more than that in general. Um, They're really just a way to access some information that you own, Uh, whether that's some title, uh, say real estate, um, some piece of information like a license. You can do all of that with NFTs. Got it. And I guess as layman, my fault question there would just be, well, don't I already own 
the stuff I have, like it's tethered to an email address I have online. Like, why is that not enough? Yeah. So oftentimes that is sufficient, but it is also very limited, right? So if you look at a game like Farmville, for example, you have an account with Farmville and you can use items in Farmville inside of the game. But if you ever wanted to go and trade them outside of the game, or if another developer wanted to come along and make a game that uses those items, that would be very difficult. And for Farmville, maybe it's maybe it's fine because you know the game is relatively fun um, with just having the items in, the, in that particular game. But you can imagine that there might be other sorts of really interesting experiences that could emerge when you have the freedom to do much more with these digital assets. So it's really, a, I think, sort of an enabling technology um, in that there's certainly use cases without it, but there's sort of undreamed of use cases with it. Got it. So you can actually take your stuff wherever you go online, as opposed to being restricted by the actual environment that each um, you know, internet publisher or uh, producer actually um, has you constricted to. So one thing we've been discussing lately is just how often the narrative changes within the Ethereum community. And that it's also the same in Bitcoin as well. Um, we're all in the early stages. So, you know, certain things appear promising and then there'll be another narrative that seems stronger and gets people excited. So I, I think NFTs aren't the hottest thing right now um, in regards to like what people are discussing on Twitter. It seems that the narrative kind of gave way to DeFi. So I'm curious if you're going to summarize the state of NFTs today versus when they were at the height of like crypto kitties, what's the state of NFTs today? And, and how do you guys see it interacting with DeFi, if at all? Yeah, so I think in general, this space has huge recency bias. We tend to gravitate towards things that um, are naturally new. Um, so last year, uh, as I mentioned earlier, everyone was so obsessed with what projects are actually built because we wanted to get away from speculation. Um, and CryptoKitties really pioneered this huge NFT moment in, in 2018, where we started seeing all these different clouds popping up of, of CryptoKitties. Um, and for a while, we didn't really have many usable products up until, say, uh, late last year when Augur launched, and we saw the launch of Veil and a couple of others. Um, and then earlier this year, we really start to saw uh, see MakerDAO take off which cause a lot of interest in the DeFi space. So in general, there's that recency bias, what we tend to gravitate towards. Definitely. And yeah, I would just add on uh, to that real quick, uh, that I think the NFT space remains pretty exciting. Like I think there's sort of the crypto narratives and then there's like sort of the builder narratives and the sort of uh, collaboration opportunities between crypto native projects and, for example, gaming projects. And I think while the crypto narrative does seem to be leaning a little more towards DeFi, I think I think there's still a lot of interest in NFTs from the crypto community, but I would say that there's a pretty exciting environment from the uh, sort of crypto enthusiast gaming community in NFTs still. And I, I think it hasn't really died out. I think uh, it's just not as prominent in the crypto Twitter sphere. Yeah, there's also this overlap between uh, financial crypto games, or DeFi, and blockchain games as well that a bunch of people exploring with things like radical markets where you're able to earn uh, as you kind of play the game. 
Um, really one interesting case was um, CoinMine that was kind of launching last year. There's been some discussion around uh, being able to play console games and earn as you go. Um, this this intersection between like how do we earn money as we kind of interact with protocols and playing games themselves it has this really weird gray area. And I think we're just starting to explore that. So at first, we're, we're approaching NFTs and blockchain gaming and DeFi in two closed silos. But I think in the next year or so, you'll start to see those combine as we start to build games on top of DeFi themselves. One thing that I've really been into lately is how do we use DeFi and kind of reskin it in a way that makes it more appealing to mainstream users. Uh, right. One analogy that I've used for that was like we can actually build Pac-Man uh, on top of a MakerDAO CDP. So essentially, start game is your generate die function where you actually spread out all the dots on the map or just die. Black this die. And whatever die is left over from your position is left over for the next player to kind of grab. Um, so we'll see those type of games emerge most likely. Oh, wow. And so you're kind of refilling the reward system then as it goes? Yeah, exactly. And... Outside of gaming, do you see any other overlap between this earn-as-you-play model between DeFi and NFT? Um, that's a good question. Um, not so much right now, um, but I think that we're just starting to do some research on that as a community. Um, and recently, you've written that uh, the blockchain gaming community has turned away from Ethereum as they pursue the chase for shiny objects. <laughs> and I was curious what you meant by that. What's exactly leading uh, these developers astray? Yeah, I think in general, people like money and they like creating new markets. Uh, mm -hmm. If markets are generally cheaper to create um, and they could potentially draw a larger crowd, uh, they'll probably move away from Ethereum. Um, Ethereum in general is really slow. It, it's pretty costly to create new markets. But if things like EOS and other protocols are cheaper to create, they'll most likely gravitate there in the short term. Um, and then you have the large uh, influx of ICOs, the larger protocols that challenging Ethereum. In the past few months, in the past year, uh, they're also using their funds to draw in blockchain uh, game developers um, to kind of build usable applications in space. Um, so I think it, definitely in the short term, you'll start to see some uh, game developers move off. But eventually, I think that Ethereum has a strong enough developer community to have the effects of decentralization uh, keep some of them around in the long term. Right. I mean, when the payout kind of dries up, uh, they'll return back to the fundamentals, certainly. But I mean, even even if we are seeing some people be like you know distracted by these shinier objects, um, Devin, OpenSea recently tweeted that you know, around 2.9 million crypto collectibles are have gone up on main on the mainnet Ethereum. They're up um, 200,000 just in the past month. And I'm curious, um, what are the major sources we're seeing those crypto collect collectibles come in from? So most of the activity has been in gaming thus far, primarily because it's just such a sort of unique digital playground for new companies to try and experiment with NFTs. So being able to launch something really quickly, have it sort of self-contained, not have to worry about any sort of tethering to the physical world is kind of what's, um, what has been the main model for developers so far. So we kind of expect that for at least the next year or so, 
um, for most, most of the activity in NFTs to be in gaming, but um, we'll see where it kind of goes from there. Um, and let's talk about the real world for a second. Outside of gaming, what compelling use cases do you see that tether the real world to, to NFTs? Yeah, I could talk about that a little bit. So I really don't believe in this uh, premise of having real estate being tracked with, as NFTs. I think it's really hard to have uh, any physical object being tied to NFT because that location can be changed uh, at any single moment. So you don't actually prove that you have ownership of the physical objects. Um, because of location? Yes, in terms of location and ownership. Oh, wow. Um, but what is also really interesting is we can actually use NFTs as derivatives for owning things. So a good example is if you have like a NFT, if you have a physical uh, bobblehead of some MLB figure, um, it can have like a QR code that scans it to get a digital NFT on the other side, right? So you're basically redeeming this physical token for a digital token, and then that physical token can still be traded for others. Um, but you, and you have this digital equivalent that's basically tied to this physical scarcity. Um, so you can use that for almost anything, right? You have this NFT derivative that kind of just lives on its own, um, but has some proof of that this at one time you've owned it, right? But um, on the flip side, with this digital NFT, um, that can be traded as well, right? So you didn't have to have physical ownership. Uh, of that physical object at any single point in time. But then this can be tied to other games as well. So it's a really weird ecosystem once you tie the physical and the digital, um, but you can really do some really creative stuff with it. Okay, and it just seems like all you need is proof of ownership. Yeah, exactly. And from the beginning of time, like trading and collecting in general <laughs> have been um, hobbies. Um, on a physical, like from a physical perspective, um, have been incredibly popular. And it's going to be interesting to see it play out in the digital realm. Do you find that there are differences in like the visceral feel of like owning something digitally versus physically? And do you think that manifests in some way in the NFT space? Or do you think people view them similarly? It's definitely different. So some people in NFT space have this view of collectible maximalism. And it's basically this idea of if we collect things in the physical world, we should also collect things in the digital world almost the same way and display them. Um, right. What's different with digital objects is that they're programmable. Right? So this NFT that you own can also give you access to some platform that you might not even know about. right? And also, third-party developers can plug into that NFT to give you even actually more utility for that. This isn't possible with physical collectibles. Mm, I see. And Devin, would you add anything to that? Yeah, I would just add, I think people are still kind of getting accustomed to what it means to own something that's sort of provably unique and will always be theirs as long as um, like the properties of the blockchain remain consistent. So I think a great example is like a game called Axie Infinity. Um, here, like there was sort of blockchain marketing around the game from the beginning. A lot of the early adopters were crypto enthusiasts. And so they sort of knew that they were, that these were investments, not just like gaming items. Right. And so because of that, these things, uh, there was a very small amount of them and they sold for large amounts of money. Um, and 
now we're actually seeing that ecosystem grow. So more and more people are excited about Axie and people have been able to resell their Axies and, and make quite a profit on them. So I think more examples of those types of games where these where there's this knowledge that there will be future liquidity of these assets and that they're not just going to disappear one day and that they'll have these this longevity that other digital assets never really had. Um, as more and more gamers and regular consumers get used to that idea, I think the um, collectible aspect of them and the value that people really put into them is going to increase over time. And right now, I think the crypto crowd kind of understands that. Um, but I think for the mainstream crowd to understand that, they need a few kind of reference experiences, a few games where like they're able to resell their assets and make a profit. And they, they sort of catch on to this idea that these aren't just your regular gaming items. Absolutely. I think materiality plays a big part in this, like physically seeing some change somewhere that's significant to you. And if that's, you know, changing a bottom line somewhere, um, I, I think that that's definitely enough incentive to get people to change their behaviors and, and want to engage. So outside of Axie, what are other examples um, and outside of OpenSea and Dapper Labs, which you two are uh, affiliated with, what are other top companies you see in the space that are pushing NFTs forward? Um, preferably some that are underrated uh, that you guys I think are incredibly promising. I was a big fan of a game called Crypto Assault, which just launched, which is a MMORPG. Um, and I think that it was it's a bit underrated, like not a lot of people know about it, but they really did combine um, solid game off-chain game mechanics with on-chain ownership of the assets. And this was kind of a trend that we've seen in the Ethereum ecosystem where primarily the Ethereum blockchain is used for managing ownership of the assets and then actual gameplay lives off chain. So Crypto Assault, I think, is in a, it just launched. So it's, it's fully like playable now and it has been um, really growing in volume over the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, but they did a great job of sort of managing that that hybrid relationship between main chain assets and off chain gameplay. Um, another interesting one that launched recently was Marble Cards. Um, and here, it was a pretty simple mechanic. They allowed you to tokenize any website URL and create a unique digital card off of it. And so there became a pretty interesting sort of scarcity mechanic tied to the value or perceived value um, of like a, a given website, right? So you could actually, you could tokenize the OpenSea website and then try to resell that. Um, and I thought they did a they did sort of a clever job. Um, I don't know if Brian has any more. Yeah, I think uh, Neon District is one that's really interesting because it's one of the first games actually using an Ethereum sidechain for gameplay. Um, so since all the gameplay is still technically on chain, but it lives in the sidechain, it makes it really interesting of how players are actually earning their tokens on the sidechain and then moving it to the main chain, having that tradable and programmable. It really makes it hard to have um, sidechain tokens programmable in other instances. So building those bridges from those sidechains to the main chain is extremely important. Um, and they really realize that. For the listener that isn't super familiar with how sidechains interact uh, with main chains, what does this end up helping uh, you do? Oh, um, so basically a sidechain allows you to have a higher throughput um, set of transactions than the main chain, right? So 
essentially you would move an asset to a separate blockchain that is run with a different consensus mechanism, but allows gameplay to actually occur on a more real time basis. So um, uh, Loom and Neon District have been working on something like this uh, so that they can actually run real game logic on a blockchain, um, which proved to just sort of be technically infeasible on the Ethereum main chain. Um, a number of projects tried it early on, but um, you know the, the time it took to uh, complete transactions on the main chain was pretty much prohibitive for any like real game that people wanted to play. Right. And uh, to be clear, this is different than interoperability between two main chains, right? Like, let's say you have a game on um, EOS that you also want to uh, play on Ethereum. But do you guys have any thoughts on like the future of interoperability for NFTs or like where we're, there, where we're at? Well, there's, there's two things that people uh, like are referring to when they mention interoperability. One is sort of interchain interoperability. Um, and there, um, I guess I have less of an informed opinion because, you know, there's, there's a lot of projects that are tackling that uh, Cosmos, Polkadot. And it seems like we're just in early days from a technological standpoint. Um, there are definitely bridges between um, side chains and the main chain. There's perhaps some bridges between EOS and um, Ethereum. So there's there's people playing around with it. Um, the other thing that people talk about when they talk about interoperability is like cross game interoperability. And there um, we've we've seen some interesting experiments with being able to use items from one game in another game. Um, and that's not, you know, particularly reliant on uh, cross blockchain interoperability. Yeah. So one example of that was what CryptoKitties did with Gods Unchained, where you actually have a CryptoKitty in your wallet, but that gives you access to purchase a uh, Gods Unchained pack, which contained a statue for your player. But you're only able to access that if you had a kitty in your wallet. So this is, this is one of the bigger examples that we've seen as this cross-game interoperability. Definitely. And I remember talking um, to some investors that uh, whose focus are video games. And I asked them, like, do they see a future where, you know, there are these universal um, types of video games and, you know, you acquire assets in one game that you can transfer over to another? And their response to me consistently has been, like, do you think studios are going to allow that, right? Or, like, these people have, um, you know, like, uh, copyrights for certain, um, certain uh, you know, things within their game. They have um, studios that are, that own these, own different games, and they don't see the, the financial, uh, they just don't see, like, it being lucrative for them to have this kind of, like, uh, cross cross-game um, interoperability. And I'm curious, do you guys see a world where it doesn't matter what like the studio politics are and everybody can kind of be connected? It, does that not depend on the studios like giving it the green light? Well, I would say, yeah. So I think my perspective is that currently there's not much of an incentive for, ex for incumbents to build blockchain games, right? Because the business model of incumbents is sell more and more stuff and lock down economies to a, to a pretty large extent. Right. So that, right. um, you can, you can, when people want to buy more assets, they have to buy more loot boxes or they have to go to the original 
game and purchase those. Um, I think what needs to happen is that there needs to be more experimentation with business models from sort of these new blockchain native companies to see what what do like sustainable business model look like in the blockchain world. Now it's com you combine that with the fact that we're still scaling blockchains and things are really hard and it makes for this ecosystem where it's it's pretty difficult. And that's why I think it's just such an exciting technology is because um, you know, if encumbrance were all over it, it wouldn't be a true sort of disruptive technological movement, right? And that's why I think most of the activity is going to come from early um, games. I think uh, to mention Axie again, I think that's an interesting one where um, they've started with a very different business model where they give players ownership over the assets. They have these like secondary markets, markets from the get-go and we'll see whether that ultimately leads to a more exciting gaming environment um, where there's lots of other things you can do with an Axie. And yes, they sacrificed control over their ecosystem, but ultimately they grow the size of their ecosystem because there's just more things that you can do with them. So I think that's kind of the, at a high level, it's the equation of, do you want to sort of extract value from a closed economy or um, sort of promote a larger open economy and potentially capture value in like various pieces of that. Um, but I think it's, I think it's early days and it hasn't, I wouldn't say that there's a project out there that has really done it successfully yet just because we're so early. What's really interesting about blockchain games as opposed to incumbents that the average revenue per user is 10 X what it is a regular user. And even though that might be because of the small numbers, it it's partially because we could actually trade these things and they have some financial value tied to them. So players are more inclined to actually play in these games and, and earn something um, and then sell them back kind of later on. Um, traditional games don't really have this, but if games really figure out how to um, extract that average revenue per user model with um, for and growing that user base to say hundreds of thousands, um, with a traditional Fortnite skin model, I think that it could be a really good one. Definitely. I think what you end up needing to do is get yourself in a position where the incumbents have no choice but to bend to the will of their users. And what you need is to prove value in having this interoperability across games. Let's play devil's advocate for a moment. And um, I'm curious to hear what you guys' perspective is on like, under what scenarios would the NFT space kind of collapsed, like NFTs are viewed useless and we kind of shut this all down and go home. Um, yeah. So I think I could definitely see a, a not unlikely um, sort of NFT winter coming. If we find that um, sort of the combination of current technological limitations of the best in breed blockchains, plus user experience, plus uh, acquiring crypto all just lead to enough user friction and frustration and developer frustration that no real interesting projects are, are launched, right? So um, I think the biggest, the biggest concern there is probably um, that if there's just not enough that you can do on chain, given the limits of, um, Ethereum and these other blockchains, uh, then perhaps like we just won't be able to build interesting enough experiences that it's really far differentiated from like a centralized game. That said, I I 
even in that type of scenario, I think it just means that we have a few more like iterations of the technology before gaming, for example, becomes an interesting use case uh, for blockchain, right? It just means that there's we're, we're sort of back to um, not only sort of a financial crypto winter, but a um, an NFT slash building winter uh, or DAP layer winter, I suppose. Um, and, and we have to wait till the technology gets a little more mature. Um, so I, I could see that that's a kind of plausible scenario, but it's still, at least in that scenario, there's still a, an exciting long-term horizon for NFTs. So I kind of take almost a different perspective than Devin in regards to that question. So I see the biggest competition to blockchain games um, as actually DeFi or trading on exchanges themselves, the act of kind of speculation, um, because that's, that's kind of fun in a way to do some people who play blockchain games. Um, so in this sense, so many markets are going to be created, millions and millions of markets, and blockchain games would just be kind of this one market that's specific to NFTs. Um, but if, if these markets are more interesting in, in the gambling realm of just kind of what EOS bet or some of those other betting apps are today, um, I think that will kind of just be where NFTs are, where it's more of the speculation um, and this gambling side to them. And no one just wants to play blockchain games, um, partially for the reasons that Devin has said. Right. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and I think it ties back to liquidity. I think one, um, liquidity would be a major deterrent, and I think two, um, that that realization that this ends up becoming incredibly lucrative for you um, at first. A speculative phase is always, I think, necessary. Okay, so uh, I want to switch gears one more time and do a rapid fire round where we ask about specific specific trends or specific projects and get your guys' opinions on them. Um, first, I'm curious, how do you guys think about digital memorabilia? Um, as it relates to NFTs. So what's really interesting about NFTs is that they live forever. So um, essentially everything is digital memorabilia, right? CryptoKitties will, will forever exist as long as Ethereum's alive. Um, and as of now, we know that's almost forever. Um, so every, everything will become a memorabilia at one point. Um, it's a matter of what do we actually classify in bucket as memorabilia, right? Right, right now it's it's you know it could, it could be a digital baseball card or something that we just like encrypt ourselves but we don't actually know what's going to be digital memorabilia okay so the second thing tickets and the potential of ticketing in in the nft space yeah we're we're definitely really excited about tickets um we recently launched a simple experiment for the nft.nyc event where we sold um crypto tickets so basically tickets as nfts that you could buy up on OpenSea and then um, you could show them at the event and get into the event. Um, I think, I don't think tomorrow or even a couple of years from now, uh, all tickets will be NFTs, but I think there's definitely some really interesting opportunities for experimentation. I think the main um, area where we're interested in is if you make something an NFT, you unlock all of the sort of instant marketplace functionality that you get for every other nft right so you can put things on ebay style auctions you can um you know sell them for die or a stable coin you can use dutch auctions you can bundle them together and so the moment you get these as nfts you unlock all of that so for example for some of the nft.nyc tickets we said instead of just selling these at some fixed price we're actually going to do sort of an ebay style auction for them and sell them to the highest bidder 
Um, and that was like a, a really fun mechanic for folks to engage in. Um, I ended up selling for, I think one of them sold for like 3.2 ETH, another sold for 2 ETH um, after quite a long bidding war. Um, and it was just exciting to see sort of that marketplace functionality um, being taken advantage of for another asset type. Um, and then I think the other exciting thing about tickets is um, sort of the longevity of the NFT. Um, we often have like ticket stubs from famous uh, concerts that we go to, right? Um, so you can sort of imagine the same digital equivalent where there's actually value to the ticket after you've used it at an event, but it's still in a digital environment. So I think there's just a lot of things to play around with, um, but I, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. Yeah, and the other thing is you don't need to issue uh, new ticket NFTs to have events. You could actually just have existing NFTs for events as well. If say crypto, we're not doing this by the way. Just this is just an idea out there. If CryptoKitties wanted to have CryptoKitties represent uh, tickets to an event, then whoever has a CryptoKitty um, can just sign up on the link, and we can cross that token ID off a list, and then they'll be able to attend uh, the event. But there's interesting ways we can mix programmability and access to physical events as well, instead of just creating entirely new tickets. Totally. And uh, the other thing I wanted to ask about were. Um, and I think, Brian, this came from a tweet uh, that you, you'd written, but uh, badges as extra visible proofs of contribution to your protocol. So this is like NFTs as it relates to uh, developers as opposed to consumer facing. Yeah. So I worked on a project last year called Proofs. And essentially what Proofs was, was um, any digital verifiable claim to some action that you've taken on a protocol. Um, so if you want to say... If you voted on a governance proposal or submitted something to a TC, uh, token curated registry, or if you completed any action, essentially you'd be able to obtain an NFT for that. Um, and then that NFT can be programmed um, in different ways, depending on what your value as a user actually is. So it's essentially combining your different elements as, as a valued user. Um, in a way that makes you just much more valuable to the network oh. itself without using cryptocurrency. And is this uh, signaling your status or is this like you're getting different access? Or doing both? Yeah, exactly. Both, right? So it's both your achievements on chain um, and also access that third party developers can kind of plug into based off your status. Okay. Alternatively, if you guys have requests for projects, what do you want to see in the space that um, you? people either haven't gotten right or um, you want to see someone working on? I would, in general, I would, I would love to see more projects that kind of remix existing projects in creative ways. So um, I, I, I thought with the Kittyverse, there was really interesting signal around, um, there were a couple kind of second layer games, Kitty Hats being one um, where you could accessorize your CryptoKitties, Kitty Race where you could uh, race your CryptoKitties. But now that there's, you know, maybe a thousand different NFT projects out there, I think there's even more opportunity for remixing. Uh, I think you could you could take assets from like I don't know, MLB Crypto Baseball and Axie and like do interesting things with those, or you could create sort of um, like shared gambling pots with many different types of NFTs that are like distributed in different ways. Uh, so I think there's just a lot of um, opportunity now that the space is a little more mature and there's, um, you know, there's a few more users that have come on and are excited about these things. You can kind of tap into those existing communities as opposed to sort of create something from scratch. 
Yeah. So lately, I've been into the intersection of DAOs and blockchain games. Um, I played a lot of MMOs when I was younger and been on a lot of quote unquote guilds. And I see guilds and Aragon DAOs is pretty similar. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about what coordination looks like between different blockchain games and users who are part of this group, um, kind of working together um, to earn as much uh, money as possible in these blockchain games as kind of a consortium. And I, I want to ask, I want to say this, Lance, with you guys. Um, is there, we hear often people like, this doesn't need a blockchain, do not put it on the blockchain. Do you see people NFTizing things that do not need to be NFTs? Um, or conversely, like, are there use cases people think you need NFTs for, but you do not? So I think anything could be an NFT. I think that's, I, I don't have sort of a limited, like a collectible maximalist view or something like that, where we're only like collectible should be NFTs or things like that. Mm-hmm. That said, I think what I kind of uh, question a little bit is projects that, um, you know, build NFTs, but create very little sort of opportunities for interoperability or like freedom of of use with them. So an example is like, you know, a project that hosts every single user's wallets, doesn't you know, let people use MetaMask, um, nothing wrong with trying to provide a better user experience, but they, you know, they host people's wallets, they allow the NFTs to be burned by a central account. Um, they allow even like the NFTs to be transferred by that account. And so they're, they're just, at the end of the day, they're just using a very expensive database um, to create a centralized game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they can put like blockchain, maybe the sort of there's marketing value in being able to say that it's on the blockchain. But at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it would have been a lot easier to just, um, to just use a database. Um, so those are the ones where I, I kind of question um, whether there's actually a real, real value in, in NFTs. This is kind of my concern across a lot of the projects, across crypto in general. Uh, lately, we've been having this huge focus on a user experience. And the user experience uh, has been coming to an extreme level in general, where we can't uh, move our assets from this kind of centralized service to kind of more of the main chain for users to uh, move their assets more freely. Um, we, we kind of sacrifice that decentralization factor when we go too much on the user experience side. So there's kind of like a fine tuning balance there that we kind of, at some projects, haven't really figured out yet. Absolutely. And for um, the last thing I wanted to discuss um, was uh, Dennis from A16Z Crypto had recently started a thread on what makes NFTs or digital goods so interesting. And we've touched on this in our conversation about tethering assets to the real world and materiality. But he specifically describes it as just like with gold-backed dollars, backing NFTs with physical goods may be necessary to establish perception and trust early on. So here he's talking about familiarizing what we already know and drawing on that behavior and then eventually being able to separate the two from being back to something in the real world to just being solely owned online. I'm curious if you guys agree with that line of thought or what are your thoughts about that that theory? Yeah, it's super interesting. I think there will come a time where we have um, our, our physical goods uh, have these digital equivalents and we can kind of redeem our, these physical collectibles for different token IDs, kind of resembling that this is backed by this physical good that actually exists. 
some of the problems with NFTs today is that essentially anyone can create them. So if we think about how physical goods have these minerals or resources that they're kind of combined by in factories, these digital goods kind of don't have that, right? So if we can actually create more digital scarcity using physical scarcity, um, things can just become more naturally valuable with NFTs. Brian, before before we start the podcast, I asked, like, what do you also spend a lot of time thinking about outside of the crypto space? And you'd, you'd mentioned esports. And I'm curious if you have a, like, moonshot, like, what's your moonshot crazy, like, um, uh, vision for uh, crypto and esports? I know we often talk about the overlap between the two, where a lot of people envision, envision like, a ready player one type of future. Right, do, do, you, do you buy into that? Or what are your thoughts there? So in general, I think um, what CryptoCop has done in the past with creating these brackets where you kind of use um, these brackets as kind of a buy-in for like a pool. And as the tournament progresses in like a real life scenario, say like a World Cup, for example, um, these brackets become more valuable or less valuable. Um, so I think we'll see this kind of, and that kind of ties back into prediction markets, right? With kind of what Vale's doing. So I think we'll see this really interesting intersection between prediction markets where users can be kind of betting on live games, um, whether that's actual video games or real life games. I don't know. Um, but the intersection between the two prediction markets and esports are probably the closest bet um, as opposed to using NFTs and esports. Cool. We're running up on the hour, guys, but I wanted to say thank you so much. This episode was a first um, for two reasons. One, first time we've had two guests on the show in one episode. And then two, um, our first and only uh, so far episode on uh, NFTs. So thank you so much. I think we I, I think uh, we covered all out of tea ground I was hoping to cover. Um, so thank you guys for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you, Suna. Hey, everyone. Suna here. If you liked this episode of The Token Daily and want to help us take crypto to the top of Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, then please do us a favor and rate, review, and smash that subscribe button. To leave a review, simply go to the Token Daily homepage and scroll down until you see five blank stars. Taking a few seconds to fill those stars in and leaving a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. Thanks again for choosing to listen to The Token Daily. I'll see you next time.